Hello and welcome to The Deeper Podcast, a podcast that's all about how we can live lives that unleash just a little bit more courage and a little bit more love in our living, and not in those grandiose ways, but in those ways that feel possible in our day-to-day lives. And we're even going to be doing that today as we top, as we tackle a topic which can, for many of us, feel way outside our capacity to understand or even think about how we can contribute to, which is global peace. Now, this past week was... UN Sunday, the day that the world kind of marks the the founding of the United Nations and its place in our world, which is, of course, a really complicated place. I mean, the United Nations is the best articulated version of our world trying to come together to engage in conversation, engage in dialogue and mutual collaboration across cultures and societies that often are really challenged to even communicate to one another, let alone work together, sometimes are actively at war with one another. And yet here we have an agency that is trying its best to be a place in which the world can come together. Now, I will first admit that I was a big uh, model UN nerd when I was in high school, which may not be a surprise to many of you, but Model United Nations was basically where it was a competition where you pretended to be a country uh, at the United Nations, and you went and you participated in the very actions that go on in the United Nations. So I remember one year I was Azerbaijan, and I was on the Human Rights Council. And so we would have conversations about topics of the day that then related, and we had to pretend that we were that country and advocate their perspective. And I flashed back to that memory just this past month when Azerbaijan and Armenia went to war. And I remember learning about the animus between these two places and trying to represent it as we thought about what does it mean uh, to advocate for human rights in the world. And in some ways, this sort of play acting was one way of gaining access to something that we could do. Even if it was pretend, it was still practice. Today on the podcast, we're going to hear from four different voices about an experience or perspective that they bring when they think about this question of global peace and justice. So we're going to begin by hearing from Foothill's new director of music, Benjamin Hansen. He's going to be talking about an experience he had in Estonia and how music can be a force for peace in the world. We're going to hear from two members of our Global Peace and Justice group at Foothills, uh, Sue Ellen Klein and Elizabeth Stanley, about the long-haul work for activism and what grounds them. And then we're going to hear from Reverend Gretchen about how we can bear witness to the complexities of life that go on in places far from us and yet not lose ourselves and bring intention to how we bear witness to the suffering in the world. We're going to close it out by offering a practice, a, a practice that comes from the Buddhist tradition. And um, I was debating whether or not I would lead it or I would offer the version that Reverend Gretchen and Benjamin did in one of our services. And I opted for that one because I think that the sung component of it is really beautiful and can invite us a little bit deeper into the practice. But it's one that I think many of us can benefit from, which is a practice of transforming suffering through uh, intention. So with that, I'm just going to invite us into the flow. So you're first going to hear from Benjamin Hansen, then you're going to hear from Sue Ellen Klein, then Elizabeth Stanley, then Reverend Gretchen Haley, and then you're going to be invited into the practice together. A few weeks ago, a group of about 65 people gathered in our sanctuary to learn about the singing revolution. 
in which the people of Estonia overthrew Soviet occupation and gained their independence, not by raising arms against their occupiers, but by gathering together to sing. The most famous anthem of this Estonian revolution, Mulisama on Minu Arm, based on a poem by the Estonian nationalist poet Lydia Koidula, isn't about a desire to overthrow, nor does it contain a call for violence, but instead tells of the natural beauty of Estonia and proclaims a willingness to lay one's life down to protect it. It ends, my sacred Estonia, your birds will sing me off to sleep and may flowers bloom from my ashes. The anthem of their revolution then is not a call to arms, but a lullaby. In the face of oppression, instead of anger or hatred, they chose love. In one famous moment in 1969, a crowd of over 100,000 Estonians spontaneously began to sing this song in their capital of Tallinn during a song festival, in defiance of the Soviet censors who had outlawed such nationalistic music. The Soviet authorities tried to drown out the singing with a huge military brass band with over 100 instruments, but the singing continued even louder than the band. They sang it again and again until their song of national pride drowned out the sound of oppression. In the end, the Soviet authorities had no choice but to invite the composer of the song onto the stage to conduct an encore, pretending that this had always been intended to happen. It was through moments like these that Estonia won its independence back, by coming together to sing as a community. They gathered and sang with love for each other and for their homeland, and with a deep commitment to nonviolence. Estonia was the first Soviet republic to win its independence, leading to the eventual fall of the entire empire. And not a single shot was fired to liberate Estonia. Not a single life was lost. They just sang together. In the face of war, they chose peace. This is the power of music to affect change. For all of human history, music has been used to bring people together, imagine a better tomorrow, and fight for change. This is what we do here at Foothills every time we sing together on Sunday. We embody words and ideas by artists from throughout history and across the world, and they help us come together in support of our own mission of unleashing courageous love. This is what we've been doing every week, uh, for every week for the last month or so, as we've been singing lead with love together in church. This is why our hymnals include songs of protest alongside hymns of gratitude. Since the start of the current war in Ukraine, Estonia has been highly engaged in supporting Ukraine. I happened to be visiting Estonia this past summer as a part of a performance tour, and I saw Ukrainian flags flying everywhere I went in the capital. I could feel how the Estonian people were deeply, personally aware of the historical echoes of this moment. To them, the war in Ukraine isn't something abstract happening on the other side of the world like it can be for us. This is something that's happening to them right now. There is an immediacy of the potential threat to their own democracy that was palpable and has really stuck with me ever since. So what do Estonians do to protest against injustice? They sing. I had the opportunity to take part in an ad hoc event uh, that happened while I was there, um, in which an Estonian composer put out a call for people to come sing a new arrangement of a Ukrainian folk song that he had written to raise awareness and money for humanitarian aid for Ukraine. They set a date for a little over two weeks out, and they told everyone who could to show up and sing for Ukraine. On the day of the event, 
the Ukrainians' children's choir sing, uh, stood in the center of this huge ensemble that gathered in an outdoor amphitheater with over 6,000 people from all around the world gathering around them to raise their voices and protest. I can't tell you how incredible it felt to be singing in a crowd of this size. It was amazing. Each of us were synchronizing our bodies to speak with one voice for one cause. But the people of Estonia know this feeling well. This event was practically thrown together at the last minute. At their national song festivals, which they hold every five years, they get over 130,000 people turning out to sing together the same songs at the same time in the same place. This is the power of music. It allows us to connect and empathize with people on the other side of the world, protest injustice, and to become a part of something bigger than ourselves. It amplifies our calls to action and allows us to embody community in a way nothing else can. As we say every Sunday, each of us has a piece of the truth. There's perhaps nowhere where this is more literally true than when we make music together. Each person has a unique voice and a unique perspective, but when we come together and lift our voices as one, we can create something truly special. And then, just maybe, we can change the world. When I was a little girl growing up in Washington, D.C., maybe five or six years old, my mother would take me to Woodward and Lothrop, Woody's we called it, a big elegant department store in downtown D.C. We went there largely because on the fourth floor, they had a children's restaurant, little tables, little chairs, little tea sandwiches cut into quarters. It was a very special treat. But the thing I remember more than the restaurant was that every time we went there, there was a man sitting on the ground by the front door, his back resting against the wall. He gave a very disheveled kind of impression. He had a monkey on his shoulder and a tin cup in his hand filled with yellow pencils, which he was selling. I was totally intrigued by this man. Why is he here? Why is he selling pencils by the door? Why does he have a family? Does he have a home? I still remember him very well. Last week when my granddaughter was removing the no war, no nukes posters from my dining room table, she asked me, why do you do this? Why is it so important to you? Well, I'm not really sure. And then I told her the story of the man who sold the pencils by the front door of Woody's when I was younger than she. And when I ask myself the same question that Gretchen has asked of me and Elizabeth, what makes you keep showing up? When I look back on that in some way, I think that that is the place where I began to sense that other people's suffering, other people's injustice touched me in some really important way. When I married and moved to Philadelphia, I got a job as a long-term substitute at South Philadelphia High School, a biology teacher. Uh, I had no idea about teaching. I had never had a teaching course. South Philly, Philly was a very tough school then. There were police in the school. There were gangs. There were no guns, but there were lots of knives. It had once been predominantly Italian. Now it was a mix of everything. The advice I received from a number of the other more seasoned teachers was just do things to keep them busy. They don't really want to learn anything. And they were so wrong about that. I loved those kids and I worked my hardest to make them like biology. I created labs and organized field trips, neither of which the school had ever offered. And I felt deeply the lack of respect and the compromised opportunities afforded these kids. I was sorry for that and it made me angry. 
I learned a lot during those four years of teaching biology at South Philadelphia High School, and it planted the seed of determination to stand up for these kids and others like them, a commitment that never diminished. It was the 60s, after all, and as the movements against the war in Vietnam, the women's movement, the Black Panthers grew, my own sense of peace and justice began to transform from caring to protest and to resistance. I was living in suburban Philadelphia at the time, and I was a young mom. I had joined a local group of women strike for peace, and our first act was to bear witness against the Vietnam War at the very large and imposing Abington Presbyterian Church. We walked into the packed church five minutes after the service began. We stood in two lines on either side of the sanctuary, each with a candle lit in a glass container. We stood there in silence with our eyes down to the entire service, and we walked out five minutes before the end. No words, no posters, just silence. We did that every Sunday for months. We felt so daring, so determined, and so powerful. There are so many other stories um, that have shaped my life, my life of activism in particular, uh, like all the veterans that I joined along the way, um, my travels, my fortunate travels to places like Haiti and Tibet, Palestine, India, Guatemala, always coming home with this tinge of responsibility as a result of what I had experienced. I wish I had time to talk about the importance of being an elder and a, a grandmother in all of this important parts of my life that shaped me. I share these stories from my personal life as I try to answer the question, what makes you keep showing up? How do you respond to injustice? I never set out to be a peacemaker or an activist. I was pretty shy and self-conscious, uh, but I had the instinct to follow my heart. And over the years, my compassion for others has become personal. And my anger at war and injustice has too often become a sense of outrage. I have no choice other than to stand and speak up. I'm not always right, but at least I can be a part of the conversation. Gretchen asks, what does it mean to commit to peace? For me, the question is, what does it mean to commit to being human? We hear often of the need to say no, to set boundaries for what's acceptable in our personal lives. I get that. I try, sort of. What I really think is that we need to stand together to say no, to create the boundaries for what is necessary to preserve our planet and life on it. I believe that our power is in our collective outrage. And I have a Suggestion for Benjamin, it would be great if we had a drum corps here at Foothills as part of this wonderful growing music program. Because Dr. Martin Luther King said of himself two months before his assassination when he was asked, what do you want us to say of you when you pass? And he said, say, I was a drum major. I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for justice and all of the other shallow things will not matter. Wouldn't it be great if Foothills had a drum corps, all filled with drum majors for peace and drum majors for justice? It's up to you, Benjamin. Global peace and justice. Wow. That's a lofty goal, and it can feel overwhelming. How will it happen if we don't address it now? 
As a large church, we're active in a number of justice areas, climate justice, immigration justice, racial justice, and more. But what calls me to focus my efforts on global peace and justice? I came to Foothills about 12 years ago after many years as a Unitarian Universalist and after working over 11 years in universities for Arabic women in the Middle East. During my time overseas, my awareness of global issues increased exponentially, and my eyes were opened to the extent of conflict and just injustice in other parts of the world. I knew that I wanted to continue somehow being involved in international work after my return to the U.S. So I was happy to learn that Eleanor Dwight had founded a chapter of Unitarian Universalists for Justice in the Middle East at Foothills. I was inspired by her dedication to justice for Palestinians, and I quickly joined her in efforts to educate ourselves and others about the realities of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and in advocacy to promote justice for Palestinians. After a year or two, I had the opportunity to visit Palestine and Israel with other Unitarian Universalists, where we met with both Palestinians and Israelis, and I saw for myself the effects of the illegal occupation on the lives of Palestinians. That experience deepened my commitment to efforts on their behalf. I was and am inspired by the hope expressed by Palestinians, the hope of ending the occupation, the hope for peace, the hope that they will one day be free. Olive trees represent a livelihood for farmers in the occupied territories of the West Bank, and they have come to represent the resiliency and the steadfastness of the Palestinian people. They also represent hope. As Mitri Raheb, pastor of the Christmas Church in Bethlehem, wrote, At times, when we feel as if the world must be coming to an end, our only hopeful vision is to go out and plant olive trees. If we don't plant any trees today, there will be nothing tomorrow. But if we plant a tree today, there will be shade for our children to play in, there will be oil to heal the wounds, and there will be olive branches to wave when peace arrives. I continue to feel committed to the work of UDJME, but I'm also excited to participate in the expanded mission of the Global Peace and Justice Ministry of Foothills with the challenges of elevating peace and nonviolence, defending human rights, and countering inequality and injustice wherever they exist. I'm glad that our focus is on peace and justice, as I truly believe, and quoting Martin Luther King here, that we cannot have peace without justice, and that justice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Oh.
we encounter stories of global injustice, we can often get stuck in a story of being not enough, protecting ourselves from everything. But we know that this sells our hearts short, shelters our hearts from a full their full capacity to hold and also break open towards greater wholeness and keeps us from feeling the ways that our tears and trials become tributaries for a wider movement for justice all over the globe. So today I invite us to practice trusting, trusting that we can let ourselves receive heartbreak, heartbreak close in and far away and not lose ourselves. Today we pray to meet the brokenness with love and to find there peace. Let's sing together again. called Tongue is known as taking and sending. It's a practice that reverses our normative logic where we avoid suffering and instead practices visualizing the pain, the pain of others with every breath in, and then sending out to them what they might need with each out breath. So I invite us to just practice this simple practice together now. Just breathe in something difficult, something that, that you know has some pain associated. Something close to you, perhaps. And then breathing out compassion, forgiveness, peace. And breathe in again beyond the familiar, maybe something, a struggle you're aware of that's very far away. Just breathe it fully in and then breathe out compassion and our deep connectedness, our shared humanity. As you continue to breathe, we're going to sing once again. breathing in and out for a few moments. Just keep imagining that, bringing in something that's painful and then breathing out love. Letting just the transformation of your body work its alchemy. Feel the ways that our breath connects us. We are united in the quest for compassion and healing. In a shared experience of suffering and in our need for one another. May all human life flourish. 
May all human life know abundance. May all human life know health and happiness and possibility and peace. Let's sing once more. Don't be afraid to take that practice of Tonglen with you. When you experience the suffering that you hear on the news, even just a breath of noticing that hot air coming in and breathing out what is needed can help you orient to it. It can help you not turn away because it gives your body something to do, something that inherently will relax your nervous system. You know, that practice, you may think, well, what is it doing? Is it actually sending peace and understanding and love into the world? What we can say for sure is that it is something that might transform you and your capacity, your capacity to not turn away, your capacity to bring what is needed into life, your capacity to love this beautiful and yet broken world. Well, that's all we have today on the podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure to be able to produce these and share the voices of our community like we get to do in an episode like this. Next week, we're going to be starting a whole new series called In the Little Things, which is an exploration of how we can find delight and abundance in the smallest moments, not wishing for anything more than already exists. So I hope you'll join us for that. Until next time, thanks so much for joining us.